In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Even, even if there was New Testament, no New Testament or um, no creeds where week after week after week we talk about Pontius Pilate, you could find out about Pontius Pilate and, and sort of the, the brutality of him in, in other ancient writings. He's still sort of well-known. And a lot of times in the Gospels, when we, when we read through him, Pilate almost seems a semi-sympathetic character. Yes, he did eventually turn Jesus over, but he was his hands were tied and he kept getting sort of pushed and all the rest of it. But not really, right? Mostly, Pilate um, was just as sort of cruel, power-hungry government official for the Roman Empire, um, meant to squash any sort of rebellion that happened to come its way. Um, regardless of whether it was a, a rebellion that was real or, or maybe presumed as these Galilean pilgrims were going off to Jerusalem that was, was recounted to Jesus. Now, they may have been revolutionary Galileans who were going off that Pilate decided just to uh, stamp down, or they may have been Galileans that really were just going to Jerusalem for, for holy purposes. Though Jesus' uh, sort of warning seemed to be more like the other warning of, you know, if you don't repent, the same might happen to you. That is, if you're looking to take up the sword, you might well get the sword in return. And it's interesting, I don't know if it's coincidence or, or God at work, um, and, and who knows from, from our pilgrimage that we just went on over the last couple of days, 14 of us here from St. Matthias, I might be able to make any connection to the, to the Gospels, but this one seems sort of real. Um, a, a real connection that, that Jesus is talking about being warned of, of a pilgrimage. Because as we were in, in Selma, um, looking over at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, um, you can't help but but be reminded of the march that, that went from Selma to Montgomery. And first the march that didn't go from Selma to Montgomery. Um, and the warning sort of the, that would have come about, about it, right? When nonviolent protesters were, were beaten and, and injured and, and thrown back by government forces, all in a protest about a man who was killed not many days earlier. And you can imagine the conversation that probably took place after it. You can imagine that it all wasn't well and good of, hey, maybe we should try this again. You can imagine that there was called arms call for revenge, a call for revolt, a call for, this isn't working. Maybe we need to go about it another way, another tack. 
thankfully, many joined the second or third march, as it might be, um, a couple weeks later. And another nonviolent protest went on from Selma to Montgomery as the world watched on. And it is a reminder in this passage that, that Jesus is indeed, indeed warning. Indeed warning Israel, if you continue down this nationalistic military battle with Rome, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well here, and it's not going to end well in Jerusalem. Do you think you're better than the 18 people who the tower fell? These, this is not just a, a sort of innocent happenstance that Jesus is talking about, not just even a tragic event. It's, it's a prophetic message that Jerusalem is going to crumble. And do you think you're better if you're in Jerusalem when that happens? It's going to crumble on you too. Just like it's going to crumble and you're going to perish the way the revolutionaries went into Galilee. And now, there's a little bit of, a little bit of you know, to, question to Jesus in this as well as, these are Galilean pilgrims that went to Jerusalem. You're a Galilean pilgrim that's sort of heading to Jerusalem. How is this going to work? What are you going to do? Are you going to go? And Jesus only really focuses on the second question, or the first, the way I post it. Um, what are you going to do? The second question, are you going to go to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is dangerous? We actually answered already last week, because for whatever reason, the lectionary has us go 1330 and then come back to 13.1. Don't ask me to explain it, because I can't. But we know why Jesus went to Jerusalem last week, because A, that's where, where he needed to go to where the temple was. But also, remember the warning that, that Jesus got anyway from the Pharisees, who said, Herod's looking to kill you. So guess what? Galilee isn't so safe either. But more importantly, Jesus begins to address the realities of, of what the people of Israel are called to enter into. To what the nation of Israel is called to enter into. A time to repent and return to the Lord. A time, and remember that word repent too often we just think of it as, as confessing our sins. We have to repent. We have to confess our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone. Then the priest will say magic words over us and we can get on with our life. Right? But that's not what repent is really that turn, turn back. Renew your mind. Get your mind set on God's mind. Not on the world's mind. The world says, this is the direction we're to go. God's saying, this is the direction we're to go. Align yourself with God's agenda and not the agenda of the world. 
And Jesus uses this parable of a fig tree as, as um, an analogy where he says the landowner comes to his fig tree in the vineyard looking for figs. There's no figs. He says, nothing, I've been coming here for three years, which basically just means I've been coming here long enough. There's no figs. Cut it down. Why should it use up the good soil that I could have, you know, more grapes? And the vine dresser says, hold on. Let me dig around it. Let me dig up the soil, make the nutrients a little better, break it up. They put some manure on it. This is a joke. Jesus says it. People are going to laugh. Let me spread some manure on it. Then come back next year if it's no fruit, all in good. But if there is fruit, you know, then let it be. And, it, and it's along that same lines as, as what we heard last week where Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish I was like a mother hen that could just gather you under my wings and protect you. It's this yearning. Give it one more year. One more, please bear some fruit. Please repent. Please turn away from this, this military revolution that you want to have with Rome and this nationalistic identity of, of, of hatred. And embrace the kingdom of God. Because Jesus, we, we forget that Jesus is um, not only the, the second person of the Trinity and the incarnate um, God who's come to be present with us, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, right? This is all these, these things that we know Jesus as, but, but he's also a prophet. And especially to, to the people of Israel, Jesus comes not just as, as a Messiah, figure that way. He comes as, as, a, as a holy prophet because this is how God comes to Israel. And so as a prophet, Jesus is continually warning, this isn't the way. If you, if you, if you do this, you're going to go the way of Jerusalem because Jerusalem is doomed. And this is one of the reasons that these passages are so prominent, especially in, in the Gospels, because indeed, Jerusalem falls. Jerusalem is overrun. Jerusalem is destroyed. And Jesus, here in these passages, are pleading with the people of Israel, stop your idolatry of the temple. Stop your idolatry of becoming a great nation. Instead, Align yourself with the things of God. Embrace this kingdom. Embrace the glory of what it is to live under God's law, God's light, God's love. All of these things. Embrace and align yourself with this. Not that it doesn't 
lead to suffering in the same way that that going to war with Rome will lead to suffering, but leads to sort of a different kind of suffering. That, that embrace of the offense of the cross, where Jesus pays the ultimate sacrifice in order for life to burst forth. New life, new hope, new power, not unlike those in the civil rights movement long before, who gave their life and they suffered in order for new life, for new hope to be sprung up as well. For the powers of the world to be unmasked, for the powers of the world to be shown for who they are. This is what Jesus is demonstrating as well. This is what the cross does. It demonstrates that the powers of the world are going to destroy innocence, destroy and cause suffering. And in the cross, in that great <clears throat> sacrificial act, as suffering comes into the world, then that Easter joy comes with it as the victory over death the victory over evil is accomplished through the resurrection. These two events which can never be separated. And in many ways, this is a call to the church. This parable is equally as important to us as it was to Israel then. Right? What, what is it that the church is looking to accomplish? What's the fruit that the church is, is looking to bear? Or what's the fruit that God expects from the church? Is it just big numbers and big buildings and being debt-free? Or is it impacting our communities? Is it working together? Or do we continuously act for people who are on the outside saying, well, these are people who believe that God has come to the world in Christmas, died on the cross on Good Friday, and God raised from the dead, sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church and bring forth gifts and miracles, but they can't figure out how to get along and disagree about what funny clothes they should be wearing and how often you should have communion and how the prayers should go and how, when you can drink and dance and who knows? Every little thing. And so the world looks at the church and goes, they can't even get their own stuff together. Or how could we, as St. Matthias, help to change some of that? What fruit can we bear? I don't I don't know, it's a sort of rhetorical question, right? I mean, but I think it does definitely begin with embracing the cross, the offense of the cross. That the cross means 
means suffering. It means sacrifice. It means looking outward into the hurting, into the injustice, into people that God wants to heal, God wants to bless. God's way less concerned about how big our building is, how many people are even here, as he is to the ways in which we become the body of Christ and embrace a broken, hurting world around us. How we align ourselves with other churches and bodies of Christ and we put aside differences and sacrifice in order to impact a broken and hurting world. Where we can say, indeed, the powers of this world are not in charge. God is in charge. And declare with assurance that God is. That God is glorified. That Christ has come to fertilize us. That we might bear much fruit. I don't know if that means that I'm the manure. <laughs> Let's not go too deep into this parable. But it might be apt. Because I do believe that, that God is calling us to great and wonderful and amazing things. And those things begin with seeing ourselves not as any better than those Galileans, or not any better as those in Jerusalem, or not any better than those Methodists or Baptists, or not any worse than the person next door, or better. But by embracing the kingdom of God, and aligning ourselves not with the things of the world, but with the things of Christ. Amen. Let's stand in the front of our faith.